Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Kings 22, and going to begin with verse number 18. We are continuing this morning. If you can go and put that up there for me. We're continuing today our series on the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance this morning. We are concentrating on finding a place of repentance. Amen. Finding a place of repentance. Second Kings 22 and verse number 18 here today. But to the king of Judah which sent you to inquire of the Lord... Thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto my fathers. Thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. They brought the king word again. We are really coming up on the end of a chapter here concerning a king by the name of Josiah who had done some things concerning the house of the Lord upon his knowledge of the word of the Lord. Amen. And some things were not going to fall upon him or his generation during his lifetime because he had found a place for he and his people and nation to repent. That's the power of repentance. Amen. Repentance does not, whenever, again, a change of mind which or a change of action, a change of behavior, that whenever we repent or have that change, then it has a boomerang effect and causes God to change his mind concerning us. Amen. Amen. And so that's a blessing of repentance. So we want to find that place of repentance today. Let's ask the Lord, amen, that he would open our hearts and our minds this morning, uh, that the word of God would find a good place in our lives, a good ground to fall on. Lord, we know, God, the seed spoken of in the parable was your word. I pray, God, that it fall not among the thorns today, not among, Lord Jesus, the stones, not by, Lord, the wayside, but, Father, that it would fall upon good ground today. Lord, we don't want the birds of the air to devour it, nor it to be choked out, Father, by the cares of life, God, or because of no depth of earth, God, that it could not prosper. But, God, good ground today, Lord, that it would fall upon. Help us, Jesus, to find that place of repentance, God, in our lives, not just once, but every day, God, to go, Lord, secure it, Lord, for our personal relationship with the Lord. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, Amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated this morning. Now, nobody get any false ideas. Sister Wilson is not transferring from Tennessee to Mount Carmel, although she's been here two Sundays, amen, in a row. But she's been here for the birth of her other grandbaby, and then she came for a birthday party of another grandbaby. And so it just so happened like that. And so we're glad to have them with us, though, again, or her and then Anthony along with her. Amen. This morning in the house of the Lord, we're so thankful for them being here. Amen. And loving our families up here. 
I appreciate them. I want to find a place of repentance. The story of 2 Kings 22, if you'll allow me to share it with you just a little bit this morning. Um, Josiah had already begun the restoration project for the house of God in that particular area. It had actually been many years since uh, the temple had been in its magnificence. It, it has fell prey to evil kings as the book of kings. If you read first and second kings of the northern and the southern uh, kingdom of Israel and Judah, uh, there were times that it wasn't always a good king serving. And you're reading, you'll read a person's name that was king and it's he did evil in the eyes of God. He did not walk after his father David or he walked after the sins of Jeroboam. You'll read these things. So it wasn't always a good king. And as a result of that, whenever there was an evil king, people fell away from the house of God. People fell away from the word of God and the precepts of God. And so as a result, the building, the temple, it went in disrepair. Some of the care that would normally be given to it was not given to it. And so as we are looking at it in 2 Kings chapter 22, it is quite different than what it had once been. People are walking by this once amazing structure, which Solomon's temple was once a, a wonder of the world, for that matter. One of the seven wonders of the world and the hanging gardens, all those things, that now people are gawking at this, perhaps, uh, in the disrepair that it is now in. It was so magnificent in its day. You'll remember the Queen of Sheba that came by whenever Solomon was king, and she just had to come because she heard of the fame of Solomon and his temple. And when she got there, literally translated, she lost her breath. She lost her breath because of just the splendor of the center of worship and the people that attended inside of the temple. She literally fainted. And on the day that the temple of Solomon was even dedicated, Brother Gregory, there was such a, a, a uh, fingerprint of God moment upon that period of time in that ceremony that God's presence just rushed into that place. And they had to suspend doing what they were doing because of the presence of the Lord that had come down and interrupted them. But that was then. Now was quite a different case. Because the northern kingdom that was known as Israel, or at least called Israel, had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And all of these, these heathen nations had come together upon these ten tribes. And they have occupied Israel. They have taken everything that is sacred to them. Everything that is precious to them. Everything that is even redeemable to them. And this captivity, of course, for the nation of Israel, they knew it. It had been spoken into their ears. It had been prophesied long ago that God would allow this to happen to Israel because of their backsliding and because of their idolatry. And so whenever, after the, the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah was together, they divided after Solomon was king. After that took place, again, there were certain kings that continually led them into sin and led them into evil and led them into apostasy, or if you will, away from God. And so for up to this moment in time, for about 250 years, God has been merciful. God has been merciful. Let me tell you, God, uh, I know sometimes our view is somewhat skewed but God is always merciful he's always gives people opportunity for that period of finding a place of repentance God always is merciful the Bible speaks but there will be a day in the future that he will be a God that will serve judgment without mercy 
But until that point in time, I guarantee you this, according to God's word, he serves judgment with mercy. And so if you think his spankings hurt bad now, you just wait till he withholds mercy from that arm of strength that he has concerning judgment. And so he's been patient. He's been merciful with them because they've neglected him. They've neglected his house. They've neglected his word. And so judgment is going to fall just as it was prophesied on the northern kingdom of Israel, on the southern kingdom of Judah. Amen. But the only difference between these two kingdoms, it would seem, is that among the south, the southern kingdom of Judah, that there were times that they had glimpses of a good king that would arise among them. Northern kingdom, it was like bad, 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 bad. Whenever you get to the southern kingdom of Judah, it's like good, bad, good, bad, good, good, bad. You know, there were good kings that was among the southern tribes, good leaders. For instance, in my Bible reading this week, I was reading in Chronicles yet again. And as I was reading in Chronicles, I came across Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah. And when I read the story of Manasseh, he started out as an evil king. He started out very, very bad. As a matter of fact, he undid all the good things that his father Hezekiah had done for the nation. But the Bible says that Manasseh was brought low. What was going on, God was trying to bring him to his knees, amen, to a place of repentance. And Manasseh did come to that place. He found a place of repentance. And then he turned around and he set everything right again the way that his father had it set. He started out evil, but he went through repentance and then finished out being a good king. And so he set everything right again. But the malady of that story was this is whenever he chose to set everything right, all the people that was under his rule and reign wasn't ready to accept what was right because he had led them down a path of evil. Well, there's a mark of leadership you got to take into consideration that whenever you're ready to turn the ship around, if you've been heading in the right, wrong direction, not everybody's ready to go in the right direction. Because what? We don't get to low places just from here to here. It's usually a progression and so you're not going to get to the low place back where you need to get on the right route just like that either. It's a progression. They say it takes an ocean liner quite a few miles to turn a ship around. It don't just happen on a dime. Amen. It takes some time. And so Josiah, though, was a good king. He was a good king. As amazing as it may seem, according to the word of the Lord, he became king at eight years old. I don't know whoever would like to sign up to be part of the kingdom of an eight-year-old king, but this is the Bible. He became a king at eight years old. I'm thinking about that, my own son. What would the kingdom look like? What would the, king, what would the kingdom look like at eight years old? But nevertheless, Josiah, he stepped away from all the evil that his father had done, and he had a great heart at even such a young age for God. We find out that whenever he turned 19 uh, years old, that he took a tour, if you will, of his nation. And it didn't take him very long to start making some right decisions and choices personally concerning the kingdom of Judah and their spiritual climate. His actions at 19 was that he started to destroy all the pagan idols, tear down all the altars and high places of worship. He went as far to dig up the bones of the adulterous priests that, that had worshipped and burned sacrifices to these pagan entities, and he burned their bones on the altars of these pagan gods. At age 25, Josiah made a very big announcement. 
Amen. It was not enough. It was not enough for him to demolish all the evil, all of the idolatrous worship and altars and groves and high places in the nation. Although he had done that, he had wiped them out clean. But there was still a very important step for him as a young man, as a king, to do as well. Because he had taken care of all the shrines in their surrounding areas, but he had not yet restored the house of God. He demolished all the evil around him, but he had not yet restored the house of God. Of God, And so as a king, he knew this. It wasn't just about demolishing what was bad, but restoring what was or had been good. That's a good principle to live by in our own lives. It's not about just demolishing the bad. It's about incorporating the good things that had been good in your life. We, we can annihilate all the sin in our life, but if we don't build our personal altar back up in our life. Uh-huh. We can get rid of all the evil, Brother Gregory, but if we don't make church a priority, then you know back in our life we got to repair the good and demolish the bad. And so that's what this young king came, amen, into understanding. Because here's the house of God. It had fallen into disrepair. It had become an embarrassment, if you will, to the name of God and his reputation. It was just broken down. Matter of fact, it broken down was kind of a physical representation of what the nation had done over time. She had fell apart. And so as the people's hearts had went, so went the house of God. Amen. And so he made it clear that his next, his next mode of operation was to repair the house of God, bring it back to current standards, demolish the wrong, repair the right. And so during one of these days of the restoration that was taking place under the hand of Josiah, the Bible said in a place where there was some rubble and ruins that they noticed a scroll or they noticed a book among the ruins and come to find out that the chief priest of the temple named Hilkiah took this book and he turned it over to the scribe Shaphan and come to find out it was the first five books of the Bible. It was the Torah. It was the scroll. It was the word of God that they had. It's interesting tonight, or this morning rather, to note that the word of God was in the house of God, but had been lost to the neglect of the house of God among the rubble in certain areas of God's house that had been abandoned. It was always there, but it was covered up with some stuff. God's word was. But they rediscovered it. And it's hard to imagine that the Jews would have been without the word of God, but there was a period of time that they were because of their neglect. And so the Bible says that Josiah, this young king, he commanded that the word of God should be read. And whenever he began to hear the word of God read, he was sorrowful of heart. He had a spirit of contrition. The Bible says he ripped his clothes because he understood that Judah had rebelled against God's word, that they had backslidden from God's word. And as soon as he heard these things, he commanded the priest, he says, you go talk to God and see what judgment might be ahead of us because we have fallen from the place that God would want us to be. The Message Bible says it like this. He says, find out what we must do in response to this written book that has just been found. I like that because what that tells me is even Josiah innocently somehow had an understanding that God's word necessitates a response. God's word necessitates a response. And whenever we come to our closes, when we come to close a service and we call people to an altar, let me tell you, that's what we're doing. We're trying to impress upon us and the people that God's word necessitates a response from God's people. 
Amen. Because the word all by itself can accomplish some great things in your life if you allow it entry. The Bible says that it will go and do that which it was sent to perform and accomplish in our lives. It, it recommends that the word of God sometimes is as the rain. I'm sure people over on the east can attest to this. But rain has impact instantaneously. He says, but also sometimes the word of God is like the snow. We've had times around here where snow's laid on the ground for two weeks. Hard, compacted snow. But whenever it warms up enough that the snow begins to melt, it begins to water the ground as the rain, but through a process of time. So the word sometimes takes an instantaneous impact in your life, but there's other times that it takes a gradual process. And then there's other times the Bible says it's as a hammer. Bam. Yeah. Jeremiah said it's like a fire. Woohoo! You hear me? God's word is very impactful and it may differ in the way that it impacts according where you are at in that present time in your life. And so nevertheless, so the priest returned to Josiah with a message saying that the Lord is going to bring destruction upon you because you've forsaken God, you've forgotten God, you've burned incense to false gods. And so then God had, though, a special message for Josiah. This was his message. Amen this morning. I don't know if I got this one down here. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that ye would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore, look at his reaction, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you were tender, you humbled yourself, you didn't bull up because of the judgment was coming. You had contrition, you were sorrowful, you were shameful, you ripped your clothes, you wept before me because of what you have heard. And since you responded like that, I'm going to respond like this to you and your generation. Can someone say amen? Now think here for a moment. What do you think some, some of the difficulties... Why, what are some of the difficulties that you think maybe Josiah could have faced when he began to implement the changes of restoring God's house? I already alluded to it a little bit through the story of Manasseh this morning, but that is this. I'm sure he received some resistance from people who had grown accustomed to the old way of doing things. The old gods they had worshipped their way of just ignoring the house of God. I'm sure he met some resistance because ultimately humanity at its base is what? By and large, I don't care who you are, at some degree you are resistant to change. Resistant. Even if it is apparently for the better, resistant to change. And so he went through a mode of repentance. So that's no big deal, Pastor McGee, repenting. Well, let's consider whenever you first repented. Was it a big deal? Because whenever I repent, you know what I'm telling God? I was wrong. So those are some of the biggest words you could ever have flow out your mouth. Just ask a married couple. I was wrong. And I'm going to turn away from this well-worn path of life that I have been walking to walk down a path that is new to me. 
And sometimes repentance, you know what happens? Not always the case. Sometimes repentance causes you to lose some relationships. Repentance can be difficult. Mm -hmm. Because repentance, sometimes since I'm changing my way and manner of life and behavior, sometimes then repentance requires me that I can't keep relationships that I had formerly because those relationships pull me back to an old path. That is not pleasing to God. I have nothing per se personal against the individual, but because of their characterization, because of their characterization, I cannot intermingle with that lest I fall prey to the same. And so, I, I, again, it's not, it's not being mean, it's not being hateful, but it's being knowing what is in your best interest concerning the kingdom of God, all right? And another thing concerning repentance, what's difficult about it is this, I can receive forgiveness by of sins from my repentance whenever I confess them he can wipe them clean but the difficulty is this is that I might not always come out from under the consequences of my former life the moment that I repent I love the stories I love the stories, man, of, of some man that had done some hideous crime out in the world and he's pinned in judgment in the courtroom going to go to jail and the people go to prayer and the man finds an altar of repentance, finds God, and they go to court and they say, you're acquitted. We're just going to look over this. We're just going to put you on parole. You're not going to have to go to jail. Those are great. But I have other stories too. Yeah, I remember when we were at Brother Boyd's, there was such a scenario that uh, cropped up down in that area. A man that had done some crime. Amen. Again, it was that exact scenario. He was going to be going to prison. They had an altar service. He repented. He prayed back through to God. And you know what? At the end of the day, he still went to prison. <laughs> so you can really begrudge a moment. I repented, bless God. That doesn't do away, though, with that there's a wrong that has to be righted. But you know what? Even behind bars, now that he would repent and pray back to God, he was used as a mighty force within the prison to teach home Bible studies. He was using a bad consequence. He says, I'm going to help with the help of the Lord turn this around to something good that's going to benefit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, talking about, you want to talk about the negative, talk about the positive. What about the positive repentance? Well, the positive thing is repentance is this. It's a really good feeling knowing that I'm pleasing the one who made me. It's a real good feeling knowing that the one who's going to determine my destiny is proud of me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, it's a good it's a good feeling having that feeling this morning. Perhaps one of the most basic definitions of sin could be disobedience to God's word. We play the ignorance card sometimes too much. Well, I didn't know. Well, this right here is a pretty good place to start concerning what to know, what not to know right here. And then being faithful to God's house to hear the teaching and the preaching of it brings a little bit further enlightenment. Here's the thing, and we're talking about spiritual gifts on Wednesday night. You don't need a prophet to come in here and tell you what not to do. You need to let the prophetic word that's already been given speak those things into your life. I've been reading a book here lately called Sun Stand Still by Stephen Furt. And he states in his book, I just came across this last night while I was reading. I thought it was good and yet applicable to our lives. And that is the most powerful sin in your life is the one you haven't confessed yet. 
the most powerful sin in your life is the one you haven't confessed yet or living, if you will, in disobedience to God's word. And that's what the nation of Judah had done, disobedience to God's word. Idolatry, misuse, abuse, neglect. His word was in the house, but it was not found. And yet when they repaired the house of God, they rediscovered the word of God. That's powerful within itself, I think. When you, when you repair the house of God, you'll rediscover the word of God. Amen. And so had not the word of God been rediscovered, Josiah would not have responded the way that he responded because that word was read and then he understood where he stood. Amen. And judgment would have come upon he in his house. But since the word of God was read and Josiah chose to respond appropriately, that touched the heart of God in so much that not just Josiah, but his generation was spared because of his repentance. He found a place of repentance. Amen. But here's the fact. There's not much difference. I know there's time, but there's not much difference between Josiah's story and our story this morning. Because the sins of our flesh... Our rebellion and disobedience against God. Someone say, that's me. Romans 8, 7 tells us that a carnal mind is what? Enmity or an enemy of God. Amen. That's a serious position to be in. I don't know anybody that wants to just, you know, yoke up with somebody else just to out, flat out be an enemy of God. Who in their right mind would want to do that? Amen. But there is one option to all this, and that is a change of heart, a change of God's heart toward us amen and so whenever we fall into that category of being against God we need to somehow get that to alter and get that to change and what creates that is repentance repentance changes our heart it changes our actions toward God and as a result as I said from the onset repentance then changes God's heart and God's actions toward us and that's true with Manasseh that I spoke of earlier because whenever he was brought low and repented, the Bible says that God brought him out of Assyrian captivity back home to Jerusalem and reestablished him as king over Jerusalem. Because why? His re- he gave him back his formal position after he had repented. I am convinced this morning that repentance will not just take you back to God's house, but it can even give your office back in God's house. Repentance. Someone say repentance. The gift God contained within repentance is that God, who is omnipotent, has empowered sinful humanity to change his attitude toward them. We learn this all throughout God's word. In Genesis 1, God is a moving God. His spirit moves upon the face of the waters. We know him to be a God of action or a God that does something. We see throughout the scriptures some of the aforementioned biblical narratives. They, they show acts of aggression, if not violence, that God ordained in an attempt to turn rebellious cities and people and places and nations around. Amen. He does not mind. God does not mind putting us through a little tough spot or inflicting a little bit of pain if the end result is a change of heart and a change of mind. He doesn't mind putting a little pressure in our life if the ultimate change is going to help us whenever it concerns eternity. I guarantee you this, whenever you look back over your shoulder, you're not going to mind it either. Having a temporary pain for an eternal different outcome. Hmm? Amen? 
for eternal different outcome. The Bible, Psalm, Psalmist David said that the Lord's anger is just but for a moment. Amen. I think it was James that said his mercy, though, it even rejoices against judgment. All of that's just for a moment, and God is purposeful in what he is doing. Whenever he set Adam and Eve outside of the garden that we have looked at through this study with that, that flaming sword given to the cherubim, amen, what is he doing? He is in that mode trying to bring Adam and Eve to a place of repentance. Fire and brimstone comes down upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, amen, judgment for their sin, but what is he doing? He's warning the rest of humanity. He's warning, if you will, Lot and his children. He's trying to bring them to a place of Repentance. He, he's brought backslidden preachers on a boat, swallowed by fish and puked out on the shore. Amen. Through some things for the purpose of bringing them to a place like Jonah. That's who I was speaking about. In case anybody didn't know. Amen. Uh, trying to bring them to a place of repentance. He brings a man who thought he was doing right, persecuting the church, thinking that they were doing wrong concerning preaching in the name of Jesus, whose name was Saul. He struck him with blindness on his way to Damascus, was blind for three days. And in that three-day interim of time, what he wanted to do was bring that man to a place of repentance. And he did. When Ananias showed up, laid his hand on him said my brother Paul even Jesus has come to me and he wants to see you turned around and scales fell from his eyes all of that happened man bad shipwreck on a boat in, in, in the belly of a well brandish sword of fire keeping them out fire and brimstone all that seems horrible but the ultimate outcome was to take them to a place of repentance and that changed their eternity don't say amen that changed their eternity Eternity. Think about it. You a parent. How many here is a parent? Or you never stop being one in case you ever don't know that. <laughs> How did you deal with some of, and don't tell me your child never had a rebellious streak. If you do, you're a liar and the father of it. I'm not accepting that garbage. Number one, it'll put me in deep depression if it was true. <laughs> but think for a moment. How you deal with your rebellious children? How do you expect then God to deal with us as his children? What were some of the things that you did for your children during those moments of strong spiritedness? <laughs> Used to we called them brats, now we're just strong spirited. <laughs> I was a brat. What do you do? Well, I know how it was. I know today, man, we are far from, we are far from what was and even from what's biblical. But, you know, used to you corrected them, disciplined them. Now, those are the words we use today. Let me tell you what they said back then. You spanked them. You beat them two-tenths from their life's end. Now, that might be a little strong. But you corrected them. My mom and dad did that quite often. They did that and they would tell me this. I wasn't convinced in the moment. But you do that because you love them. Scripture even bears to us in Hebrews 12, 6. The Lord chastises those whom he loves. I was growing up. It's like if you do not course correct, this will be the consequence. Okay, I knew what to expect. And then if I continued, the follow through of what they had formerly said. 
right? Now, now I know they, one, two, three, five, ten, ten thousand, three thousand. Or I'm going to da 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 da. And I'm going to da 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 da. It never happens. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be even, consider your God. God, he says, Nineveh, I'm going to destroy you. Bringing you down. Jonah goes, preach, they repent. God does it. Why? Because of their course of change. But the Bible teaches us later that they fell back into their own practices. You know what happens in Nineveh? Obliterated. They're destroyed. What God followed through with what he said the consequence would be if they wouldn't change. Weak, folks. Whenever God says in his word or whatever, if this, this, and this doesn't sure up according to my word, this, this, and this is going to happen. This is not a gambling game. All the tokens are on God. If it doesn't take place, he's good to his word. That's not him being mean because he told us straight up from the beginning what the expectation was. My wife had this thing. Sometimes when our children do things, there's times that they ignorantly do things that they didn't know or they didn't know what the consequence was. But then there's other times what we call defiant acts. And that's when they had full knowledge, but they did it anyway. Our reaction in those moments of time are different. When they did something ignorantly and didn't know the expectation or when they were defiant and they already knew. God, why are you dealing with me thus? Because you already knew. And this is not you acting ignorant. This is you being defiant. Why are you doing this, God? I want you to come to a place. Find a place of repentance. And when you turn your action and behavior around, I'll turn my action and behavior around toward you. I'll slide in mercy. It's God. That's God. And furthermore, folks, you know, I've tried. I don't always get it right. Mariah's here. She can verify. But I've tried in my life to try to Affirm my love even through the punishment. Many times after I have disciplined my children that I hug my children. I know that might seem like, what in the world? After I discipline them, I will hug them and I will embrace them and I will affirm my love to them, although I just gave them the cat of nine tails. Minus the bones and the metal and such. What are you saying? I'm saying... Our actions in as parents, whenever we do those things, what? We're doing that. We tell our children this. So we're doing this because someday as you grow up, we want you to be, be a reputable young lady or young man. God just wants you to be the best child of God you can be. He wants to see you to grow in maturity and relationship with him. He's trying to mature you. You know, I don't discipline my kids as much today as I did whenever they were seven or five or three. I've noticed throughout the process of years that has gotten less and less and less. Why? Because I think it works. They're growing into better individuals than what they were at three and four. Now that they are 13, watch it or we'll still get after you. But at 13, almost there in the end of this month, 26, amen, 13, less and less. Why? Because it works. It works. And so, man, I might go through some difficult times and the Lord might be shaping me and molding me, but I'm hoping along this journey, my relationship with God, that there will have to be less of that. Because he's going to been growing me and maturing me personally in my relationship as a re- 
Y'all, I got to go on. Man, I'm really dragging feet here today. Here's the fact, folks. <laughs> Somebody's going to just kind of maybe give me a smirk out of this, but some of us are more stubborn than others. <laughs> I was stubborn. My sister Roberta, you could raise your tone above this level right here. Are you listening, Roberta, back there? You could raise your tone above this right here. She probably, she's probably crying right now. She's probably crying. <laughs> could raise your, I'm serious, raise your tone above this right here, and she would have tears start falling down her face. That's the way my son Trevor is. I raise my voice above this right here, and he's going to be a sobbing ball bag. I'm telling you. He will be quick to forgive, quick to make something right. It's just him. Now, others, like I was, visit the chamber of correction over and over and over and still not get it. The reason why I was able to evangelize all those years as I did is because Dad had already calloused my backside to be able to sit on those long drives. What are you saying then? I'm saying sometimes in the realm of the spirit in church life, in our relationship with God, some people are more stubborn than others. Some of you, God can, if you will, in a spiritual sense, raise his voice a little bit. And it's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But then some of us saying he brings down the sledgehammer. He takes you through all this garbage, and then even after that, he's wondering, are they going to find a place of repentance? We're just more stubborn than others. In Hosea, the book of Hosea, it's tremendous. We look at these uh, minor prophet books, and it's during Israel's backslidden state. And Hosea comes to him, and he, he talks about how God is like a moth unto them. And then the ante goes up a little further in Hosea, and he comes to them like a lion. And then it kind of goes like as an eagle that's tearing open its prey. He's starting off as a moth that he's intensifying along the way. Why? Because they are not being accepting to the correction of the Lord and responding appropriately. So he raises the intensity to try to get their attention to find a place of repentance. I got to remove. I got to move. I got to move. Got to move. All right. Endure forever a moment. Glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Repentance should not be minimized or glossed over or rushed through. That's important for today. That's important today for a society, church society, that's quick to get people in the water. Let me find just my soapbox over here for a moment. That's quick to have some huge block party and they had 50 people baptized, but nobody repented. That's unbiblical. Repentance and baptism in Jesus' name is for the remission of sins. And conjunction, not an either or. It's important. It doesn't have to be minimized. It does not need to be glossed over. We need to place emphasis on it. Why? Because God's word places emphasis upon it. Amen. 
if, if, if the parables of Luke 15 of, of, of the lost lamb and the lost coin and the lost son, if we see in each of those stories that whenever the lamb was found that there's joy in heaven over one that has repented and that there's joy in the presence of angels over the coin being found or as it states, one repenting and that the father has joy over repentance doesn't say anything at that moment in time about baptism in Jesus' name or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But joy in heaven, joy in the presence of angels, and joy in the Father was because somebody repented. Then, folks, we need to place some emphasis back on good old-fashioned repentance. Amen. Repentance is a type in the New Testament. It is a type of death. The fact is, sometimes it takes a while for somebody to die. We got knee repentance. It's almost like in football, taking a knee. Repent. Sometimes it is a Sometimes it takes a while for somebody to die. Because they got a lot of the old life that's still living. And the thing is this. if Listen. If spiritual death is not complete, then the new man in Christ can't fully rise from the watery grave. Whenever you, t- when you put on Christ, take his name, then you, you, you put on Christ. But it's hard to get him on with all the junk in the trunk of sin. That was never repented of. You've got to lose that in order to fit into the garment of his name. So sometimes it takes a process, but again, as people that are more malleable and affected, you know, sometimes by the presence of God, that transaction can also be quick. I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be slow or it has to be quick. I'm saying it has to be appropriate for each individual person. But if it's taking a while, then let it take the time it needs to take. We need not be rushing somebody through repentance that's needing to take some time through repentance. Nor do we need to be prolonging somebody in a moment of repentance that's taking care of the deed and keep them always in a state of repentance. Do you understand? It differs for each individual. It might be a journey. It might be a journey for somebody. And it should be a consistent journey for each of us in reality. Because I guarantee you there's things I fell prey to this week where I felt I've steered away from God's ordained path. You know what I need? I need some good old-fashioned repentance to steer me back on course. No, Pastor. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you there's some things went on this week that has called my blood pressure to rise and the guardian side of me to come out. There were some things even this past week, I didn't have any, me and my wife didn't have any control. Is this all right, dear? This all, I'm just telling on myself, okay? I want to show you humanity here today. Tell on myself. We've been dealing with all things that pertain to others here for the past few weeks. And we, for, for a while, we, we, with our own uh, finances and bills through what we're through, we can get some aid if we apply for it. We usually, every six months, apply with paperwork this thick just to get maybe some percentage off medical bills with what we do. It is always a long process. It is always so long, months upon months. And then if we have any bills out there, they stack up. And we make calls, my wife does primarily, for them to hold on and not let 90 days, 120 days get by so nothing would be sent. Well, guess what? Somebody didn't get their job done. 
And I got something in the mail that said something was turned over to collections. I pay my bills, and that just made a lion come out in me. No, I'm serious. You don't even understand. I'm, and it was just me and my wife there. I'm not aggravated at her. I'm aggravated at the circumstance. I am infuriated because I pay my bills. For, the, for that to happen, oh, you just don't understand. And so I'm going down my hallway, and I am upset. And I get close down to our room, and I just go like that to the drywall, and I put a hole in it. I'm dead serious. You can go to my house right now and look at it. You all surprised? When's the last time you covered up the hoe in your drywall? My kids got home and no said, Dad, what is this? I took my fist. Why? Because it was a learning thing. I took my fist. It wasn't this fist, but just the side of my fist. And I put it right because it fits perfect. I said, you see that? I said, that's your dad's hand. I said, I got aggravated at a circumstance today. I was just going down and I thumped that wall. I said, I, did, I wasn't intending to do that. I said, but I was angry. I said, that's what anger looks like. I said, I'm not angry anymore. I'm not angry anymore. I said, but that's still there. So you know what, Brother Trout? I told both my kids that, and I ran them through that, using it as a tool, a teaching tool about anger and how things that we do then in those moments that leave lasting impressions and blah, 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 and told them how I was not proud of that, was not proud of that, but I had succumbed to a moment that, yeah, you know what? I need to repent. Is it true, Mariah? I'm not, I'm not balking here. I'm telling the God honest truth. And so I told them, though, of course, I told them this too. I said, of course, this stays right here within our family. <laughs> now, y'all laughing about that, but that is really wisdom. You hearing me? That's really wisdom. Because I wish some of you all keep some things in your family too. All right, so I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, so I'm choosing this morning to share it with you. I didn't have to, but I'm just choosing because I think it's good for everybody to see the humanity of the man that stands up here every week so that we understand then maybe our own selves by virtue of that as well. We all need to find at journeys along the way places of repentance. And when we do, you know what, God lifts that burden of that sin or whatever it was from us, the guilt and the shame that associated with it. The, the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul in the New Testament Scripture, and another point on the thing here, God had been dealing with Saul, evidently according to the word of the Lord, for quite some time before he went to his place of repentance. Barnabas had desired to connect with Saul and befriend Saul even previous years prior to this, it seems as though that they maybe had some type of surface interaction whenever he was first came to the Lord and was rejected by the church at Jerusalem. But nevertheless, whenever we even read of Stephen's stoning, we read that the garments of the stoners were laid down at the feet of Saul. And so Saul's standing there, and in that moment, he's seeing a man who is an apostle who uh, claims that God is in his life, and he's offering forgiveness to those that are stoning him in the moment that's it's happening before he fell on to sleep or before he died. I wonder what type of impact that had on Saul standing, seeing a man forgive people that were doing wrong in the moment. I wonder if contemplation, he thought, I wonder if I could receive such forgiveness. 
I don't know what type of impact that may have really had upon him, but he went and he witnessed forgiveness being given to the stoners, and maybe it had been eye-opening for him. And, and as I teach, I've taught here in other places, and that is this. You know, forgiveness, God has already granted forgiveness through Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. He has, already for, he has already granted forgiveness to every single individual that's sitting under the sound of my voice and outside of this place. Forgiveness has already been given, but it cannot be activated in your life until you repent. So, you know, just, I don't know if maybe if I play the wording, but it's not so much I repent to get forgiveness, but I repent so I can receive forgiveness. Because it's there already available because of the work of Calvary have already taken place. Blood has been shed. Forgiveness is there. And so then you have received it because you have repented. And one right next to you may not because they haven't repented. Repentance, though, allows it to flow into your life. It's like having an umbrella. You're not getting wet by the rain because you have a covering. Another one right beside you is getting wet because they don't have the covering. The difference is, is the umbrella. So you have two people. Repentance has fallen on both of them, but one has a covering of not having repented yet. But the moment they do, they'll be saturated with the forgiveness. Amen saturated with forgiveness amen let's go on today see how long I've been up here I want to take advantage of you fine people let's go on to this okay Pastor McGee what how many thou's and arts and you know what's the language of repentance thou mighty God of the highest esculon of heaven you know, what, 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 what per se prayer, you know, what, what formula, you know, again, length of time. Again, folks, repentance, they have the word com, uh, commensurate, I would say comparable to maybe give clarity if you don't know. But repentance is comparable then to the crime or comparable to the person. You know, five-year-old coming up here and repenting, they probably have less baggage than a 55-year-old. You understand so their repentance is probably comparable to what their life they could do in five years and yet still yet being predominantly innocent in those five years compared to somebody that's 55 years old have a whole lot more roads they could have traveled went down involved themselves in so repentance is comparable according to their life or their stage of life or what they've experienced or gone through or have done it's comparable Amen to each. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 10, I think this is up here, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Oh, I like that. It has a purpose not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Amen. Again, repentance cannot and should not be a casual approach. We need to allow that when we feel the conviction of God upon us, that it would produce a sorrow that would provoke us to a place of brokenness, contrition, and repentance. And here's the important thing. He said in the Psalms, various places, two places I know of in the Psalms, concerning brokenness and a contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. And that means he will not ignore. That if you come forth before him with that attitude, you have the attention of 
you have the attention of God. Amen. And here's the thing. If repentance is not sincere, if it's not heartfelt, if it's not complete, it, look at this, will not bear fruit. John the Baptist is standing. He's baptizing people in Beth Arba. And the Pharisees are coming up to be a part of the crowd. <laughs> and as they are coming, he says, where are, show forth the, 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 the fruits of your repentance. The, the meat with, let, let me just see if I can find it in the scripture of John chapter number one. I don't want to mess up the Lord's words. Oh, Lord, no. Amen. Uh, I, do, I don't have it here right before me, but I'm trying to go to it. I believe it's in John chapter number one. Whenever uh, John is saying this, he said, bring forth uh, fruits, meat. There it is. Bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Because true repentance is going to manifest itself in some way. Yeah. Attitude, behavior. Not only should the one who does the repenting see it or feel it or experience it, but those that are around us should also see it, feel it, and experience it as well. It's fruits of repentance. Case in point, case in point today, here's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Anybody want to sing the song? He climbed up the sycamore tree. Huh? Short of stature, he wanted to see the Lord. He came down, the Lord called him down from a sycamore tree. He said, today I'm going to your house. And in the process of, of this, Zacchaeus start. It's not Holy Ghost and filling or none of that taking place yet. But he's going to restore four He's going to restore fully, with interest, mind you, the money that he had taken and cheated out of his clients. The Holy Ghost filled at this moment. But he's already had a change of heart that's affecting his behavior as a tax collector, that he's returning money. Even if, if, if there's a person that's not been baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost, there can already be significant changes at the level of repentance. There can be. There can be prior to that. Now, I'll say this just because I'm the caution horse here. We need not misinterpret then the changes that take place at repentance, the changes that ever need to take place. And then not go on through with water baptism and then fill into the Holy Ghost. Because those other things will cause some changes that will help complete and solidify what needs to happen in our own personal lives. I'll let you stand today. I don't want to take advantage of you good folks. Stand with me. I'm trying to see where I want to end here. <laughs> need to find a place of repentance. It's probably one of the greatest gifts, one of, I say, the greatest gifts that God has ever given to us. And with this, I guess, the story, I'll try to get it wrapped up in five minutes. As oftentimes is the case, a pastor had secured a Bible study in a home. Mother with a couple young kids and also a husband there. Husband, usually whenever the pastor came to give the Bible study, was just always watching TV. He didn't want anything to do with the Bible study. Didn't care about the study and didn't care about the praying around the kitchen table. Didn't care about any of it. So the pastor showed up one day for that home Bible study, and the little boy comes to the front door, runs back to his mom. He says, Mom, God is here. Talking about the pastor. Showed up at the door. Maybe no truer words for their family. 
than what that little boy had said that day. They needed God. And that pastor was showing up week by week, show, uh, sharing that home Bible study in that house where this man had been an alcoholic for 28 years. Don't want anything to do with God. Don't want anything to do with the word of God. Not ready to change, much less listen to a Pentecostal preacher coming in and teaching a home Bible study to his wife and to the kids if they would listen an hour each week. And so this man's way of life, his alcoholism, is destroying completely his family, destroying the relationship that he has with his wife, his children. Uh, his behavior is quite abusive verbally. Whenever he was drunk, it just was not a good story. And so after several weeks of doing the Bible study, the pastor doing the Bible study with his family, the pastor receives a phone call from the man. From the man, he receives a phone call. This man was in a medical detox center he was reaching out for help and so the pastor was glad to oblige and make the run to this medical detox center and visit him and he prayed with the man and he could tell that the man was sincerely in a desire wanting to change his life and so he walked into that room about two weeks later where this man was broken feeling the weight of his bad choices and mistakes and he was hanging on every word that the pastor was relaying to him and he began to accept that gift that was being extended to him by God of repentance because remember God is the one that tugs on that heart that drives you to that place and so the pastor taught him them how to repent about the godly sorrow that work of repentance about brokenness and contrition about if we confess our sins that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and so here's this big strapping man man of a man, a mancho of a man of his family that goes to his knees and he begins to pour his heart out to God in repentance and tears begin to flow and his voice begins to quiver and his face is down on the floor and he's reaching out for in this judgment that he's feeling from God for the mercy of God. Not a pretty scene, he's rolling back and forth on the floor just asking God for forgiveness and help about the wrong treatment that he had gave his family and the shame that he had for two hours. He's agonizing on the floor as the pastor is standing there and praying with him. And finally, after two hours, the pastor just slips out of the room. And, and, and later, the man would tell the pastor, he said, I continued in prayer for most of the night there in repentance. And he said, whenever I was finished... He said, I felt changed and determined to begin allow God to do a work in my life. He got released from the detox center. He went back home to love his family. He was a proud father on the next Sunday morning opportunity that he was the one that was gathering together his wife and kids to get in the vehicle and go to church for that Sunday morning. He would go to that Sunday morning service and not very many weeks from that time he would make his first way down to an altar call ever and acknowledge his need before God that I need you and I need you in my life and before the service would be open or done that day he would be baptized in Jesus name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and as the story goes 32 years since that moment and that man is still a changed man today in the house of God changed his life his marriage his relationship with his children most important out of all that, folks, though, is this. It changed that man's eternity. Because he found a place. As simple as it may seem to us, he found a place of repentance. 
God's not willing this morning. Brother Mason, if you can go to the music. God is not willing this morning that any man would perish, but that we would come and find a place of repentance. That's where it can all start today. That's where destinies can start to be altered and destinies can start to be changed if we just find a place of repentance. What are you dealing with this morning? Is there some havoc going on in your life? You know, in reality, sometimes the havocs that enter our lives, it's not because this one has done something wrong or I, this one over here has. It may be God is bringing that because he's wanting to bring us to our knees, to a place of repentance he's trying to get us to a place he's 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 that faithful father that's raising his voice a little bit and bringing a little heat to your backside for the purpose of getting you to a place of repentance can we bow our heads in this place this morning would there be anybody here today that would respond would there be anybody here today that would find god's word in god's house as it's been taught this morning hear it and react to it and respond and say i'm going to find myself a place of repentance today. Brother McGee, I'm already Holy Ghost filled and I speak in other tongues. Glory to God. That's great. But maybe you got a little hole in the drywall from this past week. Amen. That you just need to find a place before the throne room of God and say, God, there's some feelings and there's some thoughts and there's some struggles in my own spirit. God, that have cropped up, that have arisen this week that I just need to take to a good old-fashioned altar of repentance. Lord, a changing in my life and behavior. I pray, oh God, because I want want your behavior and actions to be changed and altered Lord toward me God that where there would be a firm fist of judgment God that it can be swathed and cradled Lord Jesus in mercy today these altars are open this morning we got a compassionate God we got a compassionate God he is working for your good sir he is working for your good ma'am oh he is so compassionate he deals very gently with us at times he is patient and he is long suffering and he is tender. Please don't take advantage of that by virtue of just shrugging it off. But take advantage of it by responding to it. Oh, you're a merciful God. You're a merciful God. These altars are open today. This would be a good time to respond. This would be a good time to respond to God's word. Whether you think you need to or you don't. It would be a good time to respond today. Hallelujah. Let's sing this morning. Oh. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.